I do just want to take a minute, though, and if I get emotional, I'm not sorry. Uh, and, and thank our team for just the incredible work that they have done over this past six months as I've been away. They're incredible. And I, I'm looking for, some of them are in here, some of them are doing other things, but of course, Chris Ott's just holding the fort down, and Chris Paget, um, man, praying for you after that terrible UT upset loss thing. Um, but we love you, though. Ba Baylor got crushed, too, so we're suffering together. If you're a Baylor fan, you just live in the state of what UT is feeling this week. They just, we just live there. Andrew and M just love you guys like family. Rebecca, Sam, Jordan, Brittany, Janet, Ray, Eileen, Lindsay, Megan, and our amazing elders. We have great elders, incredible elders. The Grants, the Otts, the Dury Rajas, just so thankful for them. And um, just the hundred or so of you who serve week in and week out and volunteer from everything from kids to leading life groups and everything in between. It's, it's been a cool experience to be able to come back after being gone and feel like things are better. Uh, it's also made me a little bit insecure. Like maybe I was the... Maybe I was getting in the way a little bit. No, our team uh, is, is awesome and uh, so thankful for them. And uh, I, I think you can see the evidence of their care for this house just by how loved everyone feels. It's the coolest thing that I've experienced in being back here. It's my third week here on Sunday. The love in the room is real. Uh, the care, the, the genuine connections that are happening, the real, authentic, healthy community that's being built is a, uh, just a really cool thing to see. And, and so onward and upward, amen? amen. Onward and upward. And uh, if, if you didn't notice or if you didn't know, actually, I think we're putting out all the bam, boom, celebration stuff after church, but today's our church's birthday. Um, we're... We're, we're seven years old, so I think we're, we're fully potty trained now. We're, we're, I think we're in second grade, maybe first grade. What are, what are you, second grade? We're second graders. We're second graders. Uh, a friend of mine, I was in uh, Norman, Oklahoma all week, which was just the irony of that, right, uh, with some friends, and we were talking about just what God's doing around the nation and really just exciting stuff. And one of those guys is a dude named John Lowe. He planted the Antioch Church that's in um, Los Angeles called Epicenter Church. And uh, John's church just turned 20. And he had like the best joke ever. He's like, yeah, I told the church that next year we can stop serving grape juice at communion. <laughs> I was like, I can't wait until we turn 20. Like that's going to be the greatest joke of all time. And all of you will have forgotten it by then. And uh, you'll think that I'm a, a really good at jokes. So, uh, but you know, it, it's, it, it's cool. We do these birthday things because, uh, it's important for us to look back and to look forward. You know, it's, it's a beautiful thing that God's doing. He's painting a really beautiful picture here at Antioch and we've been through a lot and the goodness of God has been in the middle of all of it. You know what's cool about doing church is that the goodness of God is often revealed to you through good people. And we've had good people. Wes and Andrea Bolt, where are y'all? There you are. I don't know. 
Wes, I don't know if you remember this, dude. I'm going to cry. Huh? He already is. I can see it. Um, uh, Wes and Andrea have been with us from like day one. And we had lunch at True Food downtown. And you cried the whole lunch. And I didn't know Wes. I didn't know that this is kind of the staple, Wes, that we have this in common. And um, But just, man, y'all are so tender. And uh, it's, it, it's amazing. I have fallen in love with you guys as I've watched you love other people. And your heart towards God and his church is just amazing. And we are not here without you being here. So thank you so much. Uh, y'all can clap for them. Uh, John and Kelly Billiot, where are you guys? Are y'all in the house? The Billiots, there they are. Come on. Almost from day one to these guys, just uh, unbelievable pillars in our house. Have served in tons of different ways for many, many years. And uh, it's just been amazing to watch you guys grow together and watch your family grow. Um, watch your hearts grow, your giftings come alive. It's just, it's just amazing. Love the billiards. Where are the Ludricks? Caleb and Shannon, you guys in the house? Come on, man. Love them. Um, I, I feel like we moved here together. I think we actually did, like around the same time. Um, or no, y'all were ahead of us. Y'all were a little bit ahead of us. But again, just have served and given. Uh, they have been just the word for the Ludricks at Antioch is consistent. They've just been consistent, whatever you need, however I can serve, whatever I can do. And, uh, man, we got to show some love to the geese. Where are Dave and Dee? Are they in the house? Did they? No, they're not. They skipped church. We know they did. Um, Dave and Dee, just amazing people. Uh, and, uh, man, it, it, there's, it's hard to find uh, a more powerful couple uh, than Dave and Dee Bredman. They, they just do family with everybody. Um, to be with them is to feel like you're family. The Flemings, are you guys in kids too? No? There you are. There they are. Declan and Diane, um, along with Dave and Dee, we actually, I feel like we were given a gift when we took over Hope in the City in 2019. And in all of that transition, uh, just these core amazing people um, anchored us through that time uh, and, and really anchored our church through that time. And I will say this, if you are ever needing to feel loved, go to their house um, because just being in their house is like getting a hug with warm cookies. Uh, it's just incredible. And they have like four different types of coffee makers. So any style of coffee that you like, you can find it at their house. Um, and, I mean, gosh, the, lens, the list, right? L Lindsay and Bryce, are you, are you guys here? Kids, they skipped too. Zach McClain, we'll just say kids. Um, and uh, Anita and David, Dury Raj, where are you guys? All right, there's David. Anita was singing. Just like if, if you uh, need anything about anything, they are the solution. Like David is my personal uh, Amazon Prime video tech support because that's where he works in that streaming deal. So if I have an issue, I just call him. 
I'm like, okay, fix your stuff, you know? Um, and uh, no, but just uh, amazing people. And uh, really, I could just go around the whole room and honor just the richness of God in all of y'all's lives. And uh, we're here today, seven years in, and uh, looking forward to what God has for us next. And I just want to say that the richness in this house is because of the rich people God has put in this house. And uh, man, I'll tell you what, it's an exciting thing to think about where God's taking us when you look around at who God's given us. Can I say that again? It's an exciting thing to think about where God's taken us when you look around and you see who God has given us. Um, well, today, uh, I, I want to use this birthday moment uh, as an opportunity to point our church at a destination. I think vision is really important for the human heart. Uh, we need to know where we're going. How many of you know that if you don't know where you're going, you'll always be surprised with where you end up? Because we're always going somewhere. We're always going somewhere, so that we're either intentional about it or surprised by it. And Vision Sunday is kind of what we like to call today. Vision Sunday is, is where we just pause and we look at who God has called us to be and honestly do a map check on where we are and get oriented to where we're going. That's really what today is all about. Um, and uh, I, I was reminded of a passage of scripture, actually, that God spoke to Liz and I when we were thinking about planting this church. And that's where I want to start today. Uh, I want to start on the map where it started for us. And that was Isaiah 43, verse 19. Isaiah 43, verse 19. And this is what it says. See, I'm doing a new thing. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. And if you're a note taker, I, I don't know. I haven't been here for the past six months, so I don't know if note taking has gone out of style. But I'm bringing it back into style because note taking is close to godliness. Some of you don't agree. That's okay. We'll see. Eventually... We'll get to heaven and we'll see who's closer, note takers or don't be surprised if you hear that question. Did you take notes? I don't know. I don't know what they're going to ask. If you're a note taker and even if you're not, I want you to write down or tattoo in your brain the word now. Now. God is telling us through this scripture that he's doing a new thing and it's happening right now. Can you say now? Now, not tomorrow, not next year, not last year, not next week. There's a new thing that God's doing and it's happening right now. And this new thing that God is doing is actually pregnant. It's carrying with it a few things that always come when God comes. It's holding within it important aspects that we must understand in the heart of God so that we can carry healthy expectation. Isaiah 43, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way 
in the wilderness. When God comes, he clears paths where there wasn't one. Now, I've done some hiking, and I'll be honest with you, it's easier to walk on a path that has been cleared than it is going bushwhacking, which is when you're just charging up a hill or down a hill, and you're going through overgrowth and under and over fallen trees, and sometimes you don't even know if you're about to step into a hole. Charging on uncleared paths is slow. It is scary. It is dangerous, and how many of you would say that, man, if I'm honest, that kind of feels like the season I'm in in life. It kind of feels slow. It feels hard. It feels scary. It feels dangerous, and God's saying, hey, I'm doing a new thing, and you're going to know you're in it because you feel different. You're going to move different when you step in the path that I am making for you path that's been made it's been cleared off it's been cleared out of all the stuff that's been holding you back and slowing you down we're entering into a season of walking down the cleared path through the wilderness and we're going to be able to move different you move different on a clear path than on a path that hasn't been cleared you know what we call that you know what the church word is for that it's called breakthrough breakthrough. It's when our soul transitions from feeling like it's pushing uphill to feeling like it is cruising downhill. How many of you could use a little breakthrough in your life? Breakthrough is when that relationship that you're fighting for begins to feel like a blessing and not a battle. Breakthrough is is when your job moves from feeling like you're just on the, the way to Friday to start feeling like there's a greater purpose that you're there. Breakthrough changes our perspective. It changes how we see what we're looking at. It it changes what we expect in situations. And when you know that we serve a God that makes a way where there is no way, all of a sudden wilderness is not intimidating because he's making a path in the wilderness. Breakthrough is coming. It says in Isaiah 43, I'm doing a new thing right now. I'm making a way, I'm clearing a path, and I'm bringing streams in the wasteland. I'm bringing streams in the wasteland. God is saying, I'm coming. And God was saying it before Coach Prime said it. God's saying, I'm coming. And when I do, breakthrough is going to happen. Breakthrough is going to happen. Refreshment is going to happen. Restoration is going to happen. And and this is what's amazing is that you know that we're a church in the city for the city. God has put us here to leave a kingdom impact here, not just in us, but in Austin. We're a church in the city for the city. And our city lacks resources for those who are in crisis. Our city has a real homelessness problem. Our city has a real complicated divisional thing that happens in communities. Our city needs 
breakthrough. Our city needs refreshment and our city needs restoration. When God shows up, there's always breakthrough. There's always refreshment and there's always restoration. And God is saying, I'm coming and I'm coming right now. We are in the middle of talking as a church through some really practical things that we can do to leave a God fingerprint in different things that are going on in the city. Because again, we're not just here to meet and gather in Austin. We're here to see the kingdom of heaven heal and restore and refresh Austin. God has put me, and it's weird, but he's put me in the middle of something called Vision 2030, where it's just a few faith leaders, political leaders in the city, business leaders in the city coming together and saying, what is it going to take for us in seven years, by 2030, that there is a notable shift in heaven on earth in Austin? And there are people meeting and praying and longing for and dreaming into different areas of society. I've been in meetings with the police chief talking about, hey, how do we really solve some of these issues? Not just like, oh, yo, we're going to pray for you. No, we're going to be boots on the ground for you. The church is a church that moves in prayer and does the things of God. So we're not just going to be like, oh, yo, man, it's really rough over there. We're going to pray for you. No, we're going to go to you. And we're going to pray for you there. And we're going to be the solution there. And you're like, how are we going to do that? I don't know. But but we're going to. And we're going to look for the opportunities, those, those moments, those God strategies that he's going to lay out before us because he's doing a new thing and he's making a way where there wasn't a way. Where there's been opposition, we're going to experience not opposition. Where it's been challenging, slow, hard, and dangerous, all of a sudden we're going to be walking down a path that has been cleared because God is saying to us through Isaiah 43, I'm doing a new thing right now, and I'm making a way right now, and I'm bringing refreshment right now, and I'm bringing restoration right now. It's not just something we're hoping for. We're expecting to see it. I I am expecting to see the city different than when I got here. When I die, I want Austin to look different than when I was just living here. I hope you do too. Because the purpose of the church is not just to get together and sing some karaoke and high-five each other and eat donuts. The purpose of the church is to be the church. To engage your neighbors. Do you know your neighbor's name? Thank you. Do you do, I'm glad. Do, 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 do you know the names of the people in your office? Oftentimes we talk about global evangelism. And, and by the way, man, Wynn and Carolina, where are you guys at? Where are you? Did they leave? Oh, no, there they are. Oh, my gosh. These guys are getting on a plane tomorrow. Amazing humans. Amazing, amazing, amazing. And they're doing this stuff. Guess what? It's not just for a few. It's for all of us. You know what's cool about them is that they're just living how they live here, there. There's not this thing that just turns on and you're like, oh, I want to see my city reached. I must need to go to a different city. No. Be a Christian. 
Be a Christian right here, right now. The, the opportunity in front of us is absolutely crazy. Our city is desperate for the church to rise up and stand up and be the solution in some impossible things. And I get excited about it, man. We're a church in the city for the city because God has brought us to be a conduit of breakthrough, refreshment, and restoration. I, I really believe that Austin is called to be a city on a hill. It's supposed to be a picture for our nation of what a city on fire for Jesus looks like. Where people come here to do a case study on what happened to poverty because people are living Acts 2, 42 through 47. They're not just reading it, they're living it. And so need around them is just dealt with because people are on fire with the gospel. And so issues that seem to be impossible to fix get really, really simple when the church just does what we're called to do. When people come here and go like, yo, what happened to sick people in Austin? What happened to them? It's like when people show up here, there's just like this healing bubble where people get healed emotionally and physically. And so people are just flying in from all over the world just to land in our airport to experience heaven. Are you there with me? Like, I, I want to see the city of Austin become what it's called to be. And the, the incredible thing for us is it's just an invitation to believe with God and to walk with him. There's no weight. We're about the easy yoke of Jesus here. And we're just saying, God, we want to be moving with you. Isaiah 43 calls us to a lifestyle of expectation and it calls us to a life of action. Around this time of year, our team is always just seeking the Lord. God, would you just give us that GPS coordinate in heaven that we're just supposed to point the ship towards and say, okay, man, with the best we can, we're just going to focus our, our hope, our energy, and our expectation on this destination in the kingdom that we really believe God wants us to, to go to as a church. And as we begin to do that, God just spoke and said, we're entering into a season of jubilee. We're entering into a season of jubilee. And what's beautiful is Isaiah 43 is actually talking about what happens in the people when God comes. And jubilee is talking about what happens through the people when God comes. Isaiah 43 is calling us to expect. Do you perceive it? Do you see it? There's a new thing that I'm doing. It, it, it's making a way where there isn't a way. It's bringing refreshment and restoration and streams in the wasteland. Things that used to be seen as leftovers are now seen as these rich, fruitful fields. And then we see that Jubilee and Leviticus 25 is calling us to live in a way that only can be lived if you're in love with Jesus. We've been in a Leviticus 25 season as a church. Pastor Chris has talked about this a few times. That's where we see, where we get the idea of sabbaticals, Leviticus 25. It's this call to the people of God that every seven years that they were to take the entire year off. Think about how crazy counterculture that was. These are people that made their living and fed their families by doing farming. That's how they fed their families. 
And God is saying, every seven years, I want you to stop tilling the soil. I want you to stop trimming the vines. And I want you to trust that it's the work of my hands that provides for you. It's not the work of your hands. The cool thing about the sabbatical year was it wasn't just a spiritual real breakthrough. It was a practical need. Now, look, I can't grow anything. All right? Like, I try. I I always go look at plants. I want to have one of those houses that are just filled with living plants, but I can't do it. I've tried to do it. It just never turns out well. My plants end up getting diseases. And you're like, how does a plant get a disease? I don't know. What did we do? Who didn't wash their hands? I, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. And I like, have to take a picture. You got to get the app. You know, take a picture. Like, yeah, your plant's done. You know what I'm saying? Like, just game over. Throw it out. And you're like, aren't you supposed to tell me what's wrong and like water it four times? And you know what I mean? It's just like, I just don't get along with agricultural living. All right? Like, I just, I, I'm so glad I don't have to grow my own food or I would be a lot skinnier and my kids would be coming to your house to eat, okay? Like, I, I'm think, I just don't grow things well, but I've talked to people who do, and the crazy thing is, is that you can't plant the same thing in the same soil twice. The soil has to rest. Isn't that crazy? For the ground to be fruitful, it has to rest. And God was building into the calendar of the rhythm of the people of God. Something that wouldn't just be revolutionary and a culture statement to everyone around them, but it would also create a fruitfulness that was beyond their ability to expect or imagine because he was giving them the tools to the biology of the ground that they didn't even understand. So when they took this year off, the land got restored, the vines healed because they weren't being tended to, and their hearts learned to trust in the work of the hand of God and not the work of their own hands. And that's exactly what a sabbatical is. It's a step of faith. That's what it is. It's a step of faith for you to let me go away for six months, and it was a step away, a step of faith for me to go away for six months. And saying, God, I love being in your story. I love it. But it's your story. You're writing this story. We get to be a part of it. We get to be engaged with you in it. But you're the one who's pinning it. And our job is to rest, heal, receive, and be restored. That's our job in the Sabbath year is to rest, receive, to be restored, and to be healed. And we've been in a Leviticus 25 season as a church. I wasn't just on sabbatical. We were all on sabbatical. And you feel it. You feel the depth, the richness. There's a a richness in the spirit here. There's a fruitfulness. There's an expectation here. It's just exciting, man. Having done this for seven years, it's just exciting to feel what this room feels like. And I genuinely believe it's because we went through a season of saying, God, we're going to trust in the work of your hands. And we're going to do something that doesn't make any sense practically. There's no way that this should work. But somehow in the mystery of God, it works. And we're going to trust you in it. And because we did that, we're going to be more fruitful than if we wouldn't. We've been in this 
sabbatical season, this, this, this Sabbath year, Leviticus 25. And if you were to read on in Leviticus 25, what you find is that God takes it up a notch. And how he does that is that he says this in Leviticus 25, verse 8. Now bear with me because this is a little bit like reading your kids' math homework. And, and you'll understand in just a minute. So just bear with me here. It says, count off seven Sabbath years. Okay. How many of you have been helping kids with homework? Count off seven, seven Sabbath years. Seven times seven years. So that the seven Sabbath years amount to a period of 49 years. Are you still with me? You see, we're in a word problem here. Then have the trumpet sound everywhere on the 10th day of the 7th month, on the day of atonement, sound the trumpet throughout the land and consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty. Everybody shout liberty. liberty. I haven't been here in a little while, so I got to remind you how we do this around here. Shout liberty. Liberty. liberty okay. Liberty. You can consecrate the, 50, the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. This is the year of Jubilee. So right after we get the breakdown of the Sabbath year, God gives us the breakdown of what is known as the year of Jubilee. It's a radical season of liberty, freedom, and grace. Because for the whole year, everyone and everything would become a picture of the God of grace and mercy that the people served. Everything and everyone. In the year of Jubilee, if you had a debt, it was forgiven. How many of you wanted a year of Jubilee? Right? If you had a debt, it was forgiven. If you were a slave, you were set free. Think about that. If you were a slave, you were set free. If you had lost your home, you could just go back to it and say, this is where I used to live. This was a radical, radical demonstration of grace. It was a picture of the effect of the gospel of Jesus impacting and affecting and transforming an entire society. There was no one that was not affected by the year of Jubilee. Even if you weren't in one of the 12 tribes of Israel and you knew someone who was, you would experience Jubilee. Everyone, it was a cultural reset. It was a, a total cultural, social, and relational reset. Everywhere that you looked, you could see the God of breakthrough, refreshment, and restoration at work. And the beautiful thing is, is when Jesus started his ministry on the earth, you guys know this, right? He read Isaiah 61. Anybody go to Sunday school, right? Jesus starts his ministry. He reads Isaiah 61. This is what he said. He's starting out. He had been kind of in a season of hiddenness. And now it's time for him to start his ministry on the earth. He stands up. He reads this passage. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And he sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. What is he talking about? What's Isaiah talking about here? The year of Jubilee. Jesus starts his ministry by declaring 
the year of Jubilee is here. So it's not just every 50 years. This isn't just a generational representation that every generation can remember Jubilee. Now Jubilee is not every 50 years. It's every day of the year. Because Jesus said this scripture has what? Been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus says, I'm here to proclaim good news. If you're in bondage, you're free. If you're broken, we're bonding you up. We're setting you free. If you're captive, free. Release from darkness the prisoners to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. It is for us right now. What's happening in us, hear me, always has an effect on those around us, always. That's why kingdom transformation always starts in you and then people around you begin to feel it. It it always has that flow. What's happening in us will always affect those around us. And and so I want to give us two things. Everybody say two. I want to give us two. uh, Everybody say two. Thank you. I want to give us two things that I believe are critical for us to begin to walk in the season of Jubilee, this invitation, if you will, from heaven to us to step into this season of radical grace that's going to reset us and reset our community. And those two things, number one is we must forgive. We must forgive. There is no Jubilee without forgiveness. At the core of Jubilee is forgiveness. Because at the core of the gospel of Jesus is what? Forgiveness. There is no Jubilee without forgiveness. And a lot of times we're longing for breakthrough. We're longing for refreshment. We're longing for restoration. And we're stuck because we have this chain of unforgiveness around our necks. Forgive. Uh, unforgiveness is the enemy of jubilee we we have to forgive paul calls us in ephesians 4 verse 31 he says get rid of all bitterness rage and anger and brawling and slander along with every form of malice and be kind and compassionate to one another forgiving each other just as in christ god forgave you Most of the time we talk about Jubilee like we're leaning into those being freed and those who are being forgiven. And we should, it's powerful, but we can't look past the fact that in the year of Jubilee, someone had to do the freeing and the forgiving. And we know it's better to give than to receive, but really, if you were the one that was wrong, if you were the one that was owed a million dollars and the year of Jubilee comes and you go to that person you're like hey you know what Jubilee we're good really you think about that think about like you're living in a house maybe that you bought or that was given to you and then all of a sudden Jubilee hey yo this is actually where my family's from so we're going to need you to move out real quick because your Jubilee, we get it back. 
There's heart work in Jubilee. There's heart work. We want the fruit of Jubilee, but are we willing to do the work of Jubilee? You hear what I'm saying? Everyone wants to be the person who gets to walk back in the house they lost, but they don't want to be the person who has to give the house back. But both are Jubilee. You hear me? There is no Jubilee without forgiveness. There's real heart work that has to be done in us if we're going to experience Jubilee. Jubilee is this, this call to a, to a fresh start culturally and relationally. This would have had an impact on relationships. This would have had a real impact on communities. For those who had been really wronged and really taken advantage of, Jubilee was hard. But to experience the fruit of the promise, they had to forgive. They had the privilege of being the picture of grace, not just receiving the picture of grace. Forgiveness is at the core of what Jesus has given us, and therefore it's at the core of what Jesus wants to do through us. The power in forgiveness. You want to know? Bitterness will kill you. It's like a poison. It erodes our hearts and our minds. And so we have to be obedient to what Paul calls us to in Ephesians. We have to get rid of it. We have to get rid of all the bitterness and rage and anger and demonstrate kindness and compassion to one another and to forgive each other. And we must forgive ourselves. Write this down. Jubilee is for me. Jubilee is for me. We have to forgive ourselves. We also need to get rid of all the bitterness and anger and slander that we have towards ourselves. I'm going to be honest with you. This one's hard for me. If you really wrong me, you know what? It hurts. It stings. But you know what? I do value forgiveness. And so the best of my ability, I'm going to lean in and I'm going to try to work through and do that heart work of forgiveness to see that relationship restored or that issue come to clarity or at the very least have a clean clean hands and a clear heart to move forward that makes sense to me but man like if I'm just being really honest with you like all the things I said that I wish I didn't say all the thoughts I had that I wish I didn't have all the things I did that I wish I could do different no that's different I get needing to forgive you, but this whole forgiving me thing, that's tough. But here's something I'm learning. Jesus does not expect us to be him. Jesus doesn't expect us to be him. God doesn't expect us to be Jesus. He expects us to use Jesus' life as a model of what relationship with God looks like, but God knows you're human. He knows your humanity. He knows you're going to screw up. He knows you're going to lose your temper. He knows you're going to cuss out your boss. He knows you're going to cuss out your kids after you close the door. 
Maybe you leave it cracked a little bit, depending on how old they are. He knows that you're going to get frustrated at your spouse. He knows that there's going to be division and difficulty and challenges because of decisions that you made. God is not scared of your humanity. The cross is big enough for you to experience forgiveness for yourself. Shame is a liar. Shame is trying to steal, kill, and destroy you from stepping into who God's called you to be. Listen to what 1 John 3 tells us. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. The great love that God has for us is bigger than the hatred that we might have for ourselves. So Jubilee is not just for them. It's not just for you. Jubilee is for me. We don't just need to forgive those who have wronged us. We need to forgive ourselves. We have to get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger and brawling and slander, along with all forms of malice, and be kind and compassionate to one another and ourselves. And forgive each other and ourselves. Just as in Christ, God forgave you. Walking in the season of Jubilee, we must forgive. Number one, we must forgive. Number two, we must return. You can't read about Jubilee and not see there's an emphasis on returning. For the people in Leviticus that were reading this, the people of Israel this was practical. They would literally leave where they had wandered to and they would come back to where their family was from. Oh, y'all didn't hear what I said. They would return from their wandering. For them, it was practical. For us, it's spiritual. Jubilee is a time where our hearts can return from its wandering, where we can come home. Now, here's the thing. Home is complicated. Can we keep it real? Home is not always restful. Real? real? Right? Everyone's got crazy family members. Everybody. Right? Everybody. Everyone has crazy family. Like my parents used to joke, like, oh, man, our family's just crazy. I'm like, every, the older I get, everyone's family's crazy, man. Like, everyone's family is crazy. And But you know what? It's still family. You know, there's a weird devotion in family that lets you look past crazy. How many of you have got a crazy Uncle Carl? I do. And he does wild stuff, but we're just like, man, we love that. We love Carl, though, man. He's crazy, but we, you know, that's Uncle Carl. There's this weird devotion in family. It doesn't matter how difficult the relationship is with your parents, there's a longing for that relationship to heal. There's no, no matter how challenging relationships, even with your siblings, there's this draw for that relationship to heal. It might not be easy. It might be feeling impossible, but there's a devotion that comes with home. And in and, and this year of Jubilee, there's, it, God is calling us to come back from our wondering and return to the devotion that we experience when we're home with him. There's a simplicity of devotion that happens in 
family. We, we got to come back. We have to return from our wondering, from our scrolling. Am I talking to anybody? From how we scroll our life away, we got to come back from the places that we've let our hearts run, the places that we've allowed distraction to take us from devotion, the, the places where we, we've allowed influences to, to pull us away from the purity of devotion, and we have to return to Jesus. Jubilee is a return home. And there's a refreshment and there's restoration that happens with devotion. There's a refreshment and restoration that happens in devotion. L listen to what Jesus tells us in Matthew 11. Come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me and I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jubilee is coming back to the holy rhythm of connecting with God and connecting with the people of God. It's coming back to the goal of our day is God, what are you doing? It, it, it's, it's walking in the easy yoke of beholding Jesus as he is beholding you. It, it's going deeper in our hunger for God to come and take over. God, just come and take over. We're in a season of Jubilee, church. God is saying there's a reset that he's doing in us. There's a reset that he's calling us to. There's a reset that he's calling us to experience with each other. There's a reset that he's having us be in the middle of that's coming for our city. And he's asking us, can you feel it? Can you perceive it? He's doing a new thing. He's making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland.